Open the precious Word of God with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Lord, we come before Thee as Your little babes and children. But we trust Thy Word and no man. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Have mercy upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to read to you verses 15 through 20. This is lesson number 16 in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 15 through 20. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who sits at the right hand of God Almighty. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. May it be effectual in those that believe. We are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in chapter 5, in the first couple of verses, the Lord Jesus Christ began laying out lessons of righteousness that were very different from all the preachers in the nation of Israel, except John the Baptist. Jesus Christ was opposed to all the Pharisees, whose contemporary group would be the fundamentalists. The Pharisees, according to the book of Acts, were the straightest sect. That means the most conservative sect of the Jews' religion. They were the fundamentalists. The Sadducees were the liberals. They denied that man had a spirit and that there was a resurrection of the dead. In between were the scribes who thought they knew the Bible, the lawyers who studied it, and the Herodians who were politically minded prophets. We had five denominations in Israel at least, and Jesus Christ was opposed to all of them. He preached a gospel that was different from all of them, and he was not afraid to call them all heretics, liars, vipers, serpents, whited sepulchers, and he was not afraid to challenge them, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? He hated their doctrine, he hated their practices, and he exposed them. Now this Lord Jesus Christ is not taught anymore. Because another Jesus is being preached in America, as 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4 warned us would happen, Satan has sent his apostles to preach another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. But it is our holy duty to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints and to follow the words of Scripture without regard for any man or all men. It doesn't matter if we be the last ones left on earth that want to follow the Jesus Christ of the Bible. We cannot tremble or quake or quit or forfeit from our duties. 
Jesus Christ condemned those five denominations with chapter 5, 6, and 7. He kept saying, Ye have heard. Ye have heard, but I say unto you. Ye have heard, but I say unto you. Continually pointing out that Jesus Christ's gospel was very different from that being taught. Now, Jesus Christ was not blasting Egyptian religion. He wasn't blasting the Baal worship of the Phoenicians. He wasn't blasting Remnant of the Syrians. He was blasting the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, priests, and Herodians of his own nation. They had the true worship of God, but they had corrupted it. And so he corrected it. And now he comes to the end of his sermon, and what today is called the invitation, a modern invention by Charles Finney. No one ever had an invitation in a church prior to Charles Finney in the middle of the 19th century. But let's use their word for it. As Jesus brought his sermon to a close, he makes an application of it and presses his hearers to their duties in verses 13 through 27. That is a concluding statement. It's got about four different points, but it's wrapping up all that he has taught on what his hearers ought to do with what he has said. Last Sunday evening, last Sunday morning, we considered verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. See, Jesus Christ has just taught a straight religion. That word S-T-R-A-I-T, a straight religion. What does it mean? Following the straight and narrow? No, because that word is S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. What does it mean, the straight religion? A straight jacket religion. One where you are bound up, tightened, restricted in your movements, because Jesus Christ expects us to follow Him perfectly. Enter ye in at the straight gate, the binding gate, the narrow gate, the restrictive gate. Oh, I love this. I love this little play on words that we have in our King James Bibles. Follow me. Paul said, I was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. I was raised in the Jews' straightest religion. The straightest sect of the Jews' religion. Because the Pharisees were the most conservative of the Jewish denominations. But this whole sermon is pointing out that the Pharisees' religion was the wide gate and broad way that leads to hell. Because what men call straight isn't anything compared to what Jesus Christ called straight. They said, it hath been said that we ought not to commit adultery. What a Pharisee meant was, we we won't commit the actual act. We'll allow all sorts of fantasies and we'll use the divorce provision of Deuteronomy 24 to get rid of any wife that we no longer like. Jesus comes along and says, But I say unto you, that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have broken the seventh commandment. I say unto you, that if a man puts away his wife for any cause, saving fornication, he he breaks the seventh commandment. Now that is a straight religion. That is a religion not taught anymore. The Pharisees were straight compared to the Sadducees, but the Lord Jesus Christ was far straighter or more restrictive than the Pharisees. Are you with me? 
That's a play on words you have in your King James Bible because the Holy Spirit used the word straight here in verse 13 and He used that word in Acts chapter 24. We saw last Sunday, Jesus said, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. We learned two things about popular religion, about the world's religion, about the religion Jesus opposed. It's easy because the gate is wide, not straight. It's not restrictive. It's come as you are, baby. Come as you are. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, enter in at the straight gate because broad is that way, it's an easy religion. Wide is that gate. And many there be which go in thereat. It's popular. False religion will be popular. False religion will be easy to live. The religion of Jesus Christ is hard to live. Jesus would have invitations like this in Luke 14. When he saw a multitude following him, he said, If any man come after me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his brother, his sister, and his own children, he cannot be my disciple. Now that is a straight religion. That's Luke 14, verses 25 and 26. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he saw a whole crowd following him in John chapter 6, he turned to them and said, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Because all those men following him did not truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were just looking for their bellies to be filled with another multiplying of the loaves and fishes. John chapter 6 tells us that. Jesus knew they were following him just for their bellies. Most religious people are belly worshipers. That's what the Bible calls them. Romans chapter 16, Philippians chapter 3. They're belly worshipers. Their carnal appetites are the most important thing to them, not the Word of God. May the Lord help us. We see that the religion of Jesus Christ is strict and narrow, and that we ought to enter in that straight gate. Jesus is exhorting His hearers. I have shown you a straight form of religion. I have shown you the way to heaven. I have shown you the way of life. It's going to, it's not going to be popular and it's going to be hard, but enter into that straight gate. Then we come to verse 15. Beware of false prophets. An adversary that these disciples were going to have is that there would be teachers that would mislead them. Jesus had laid down his doctrine. Jesus had condemned the preaching of the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the priests. But he says it's not ending. False teachers are going to continue to try to mislead you and show you a religion that's not mine. They'll use my name. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Jesus is going to say to many, I never knew you. He knows His elect with an everlasting love and has loved them from before the foundation of the world. But these wretches that have taken His name to make a living, to build a following, He's going to deny that He ever knew them. That's just a little few verses later. Right here in Matthew 7, it's verses 21 through 23, which we're going to look at tonight. Beware! If I were to tell you about your drive home... Beware, it looks like your rear axle's about to fall off. Or, beware, a bridge has been washed out at such and such a place. I think you'd listen to me about something relatively minor. When Jesus Christ says, beware, 
We better pay attention. And what does he say? Beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. A prophet is not just a person telling the future. A prophet is someone revealing the will of God. A prophet is a preacher and a teacher of the word of God. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false preachers. They will come with false motives. They will be preaching a false gospel. Beware of them. Be on the lookout for them. They're dangerous and they will ruin your religion. You will not stay in the straight gate and narrow way. You'll be led into the wide gate and broad way. Beware. This is, these are the words of the Lord Jesus to us. Beware of false prophets. Notice what he says about them. Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look good. They sound good. They'll always tell you how noble they are. But inside they're ravening wolves. You know, a false professor is a goat that puts on sheepskin. But a false prophet is a wolf that puts on sheepskin. A false professor isn't nearly as dangerous to the sheep of God as a false prophet. A false prophet is a wolf, and he's a ravening wolf. He's hungry, and his intention is to devour and to destroy. Jesus said, all that ever came before me. Now, that isn't very nice to speak of the ministerial association in Israel that way. But in John chapter 10, Jesus said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Did he say that or not? You know that he said that if you know John chapter 10. Jesus had no respect for any ministerial association, and neither do we. I don't want you to have any respect for any minister, but one that holds fast to the Word of God and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a duty to hold fast to those things. False teachers have been more dangerous to the kingdom of God and the churches of Jesus Christ than any other single thing. The Bible is filled with warnings about them. If you go to the book of Revelation and start working backward, we find a prophetess in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20. What was her name? Jezebel. She taught the people at that church, Thyatira, to commit fornication and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And we start coming back from Revelation. We come to Jude chapter 1 and verse 4 where there were certain men that had crept in unawares, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means a loose way of living. There are men that turn the grace of God into living a loose lifestyle that is contrary to apostolic doctrine. Because Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate, not the easy gate. The narrow way, not the loose way. And we keep backing up. We come to Second Peter chapter 2 and a whole chapter. And there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. I preached that to you maybe a year ago, Second Peter chapter 2. Here's their, here's their battle cry, the false prophets of Second Peter 2. They promise you liberty. They tell you that you've got the liberty to watch whatever you feel like on television, go to whatever movies, go to any beach that you want to, wear whatever clothes you want to. They promise you liberty. They tell you that there's liberty in the gospel to live any way you want. And that is what's going down in most pulpits this morning. While they themselves are in the bondage of corruption. That's Second Peter chapter 2. And we just keep backing up. We come to Titus. 
And Paul told Titus in the island of Crete, there are many that are speaking things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Shut their mouths, Titus. Shut them up. Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And we just keep coming back through the New Testament. The New Testament is full of warnings about false teachers arising. Now, why is that throughout the New Testament, including Acts chapter 20 that I read to you this morning, unless it's an important phenomenon? It is our duty to beware. There are things that look like Christ ministers, but they are not Christ ministers. They are the ministers of Satan himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 with me. Jesus in this 15th verse said, They put on sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. They want to eat you alive. They want to destroy your souls. They want to mislead you out of the way of righteousness into the way of wickedness. This is the testimony of Scripture from beginning to end. And if you'll think with me for just a minute, did this thing happen in the very days of the apostles? Did it happen? How fast did the churches of Galatia add to the finished work of Jesus Christ and believe that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved? Just a couple years after Paul was at those churches. Because false teachers came up out of Jerusalem, they were Jews, envious at Paul's success among the Gentiles, and came preaching their legalistic doctrine that you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to go to heaven. And so we have the book of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is fighting for the recovery of a whole bunch of churches in Galatia because they've been misled by false teachers already. Amen. How about Corinth? The Corinthian church was teaching that the resurrection was already past. Brethren, that's a serious departure from the faith. How did it occur? This way right here. This way right here. I want to read two places in 2 Corinthians 11. I want to read the first four verses to begin with. And I hope that you'll allow me the same liberty that Paul asked for in these verses. He asks you a question. Will you be merciful to me as you'll be merciful to him? Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul was afraid for the Corinthian saints that they were so weak that they might fall for false teachers bringing another Jesus. See, everything done in the name of Jesus is not the Jesus of heaven. Most of what is done in the name of Jesus has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. There are two billion Christians on earth today. Out of the earth's population of 6.5 billion, 2 billion claim to be Christian. Most of them swear allegiance to the Pope and Mary. They don't know a thing about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. The Orthodox Church, very much like them, knows even less. The Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Methodists, and others 
have followed along and have little daughters of that Roman church, and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ like they should. If they knew the Lord Jesus Christ like they should, then they would be baptized the way the Lord Jesus Christ was. That's one simple point. There's, there's error out there. There's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And Paul's saying, I'm jealous over you, brethren. I'm jealous over you, Corinthians, lest anything would lead you astray, just like Eve was seduced in the Garden of Eden. Because Satan is at work, and Satan does not come and say, will you follow the devil with me? Satan does not come and say, how would you all like to go to hell? Satan comes and says, let's worship Jesus. Let's worship Jesus and go to heaven and let's get hand clapping and foot stomping happy. That's how he does it. He comes as a minister of righteousness. Now let's read it in verses 13 through 15. Same chapter. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their fruits. What does it say? I'm just trying to teach you what the word fruits means. Whose end shall be according to their works. Notice, there are many ministers out there that Satan is motivating, directing, teaching, and guiding who are leading astray many of God's children. It happened in the New Testament, and it's still happening today. Beware! Beware! They Look at it. It says they look like ministers of righteousness. It says Satan looks like an angel of light. You know, whenever you read about someone having a vision, and they saw a light in the east, or a bright light came, that isn't Jesus, the light of the world. That's Satan, the light of the unbelieving world. Don't ever make a mistake about that. I remember reading about Jean Dixon being given all her powers back in the uh, 1950s. Jean Dixon said she was laying in bed one morning and she had a window that was facing the east and out of that window a bright light came and a snake came through that window and wrapped itself around her body and gave her such a warm feeling. Well, how intelligent do you need to be to figure out what was wrapping itself around Jean Dixon? She was a Roman Catholic lying prophetess. She's in hell by every Bible piece of evidence. Don't you look for light. Look for doctrine. Look for the words of truth. This is what the Lord's going to teach us and is teaching us this morning. Let's come back to Matthew chapter 7. I hope you didn't forget what I just showed you from 2 Corinthians 11. There would be teachers arising that would use another Jesus, another spirit, And another gospel. Now this other gospel is not Islam. Oh, come on. No one is deceived by Islam. We are talking about those using the name of Jesus. Muslims don't go around preaching the name of Jesus. Muslims go around preaching Allah and Muhammad. They're no threat to Christians. The threat to Christianity is weak, carnal living Christians today. Those who claim the name of Jesus Christ but don't live as if He is the Lord of their lives and the Lord of this universe. That's the threat. Another Jesus. An easygoing Jesus. A wide-gate, broadway Jesus. Literally a broadway Jesus. Meaning New York Broadway. Yeah, New York. Reminds me of who's preaching in New York right now. 
Billy Graham, the number one false prophet in the history of the United States of America. I do not say that to compare myself to Billy Graham. Billy Graham may be a better man, by whatever definition you want to use, than I am. But I will tell you something. He has done more damage to the cause of Jesus Christ by compromising the truth of the gospel in the last 50 years than the next three men combined. He has mixed with popes and presidents and sold the gospel of Jesus Christ down the toilet drain. No one is required to repent or change their lives at all that goes to a Billy Graham crusade. Why do you think he's so popular with the world? Jesus wasn't popular with the world. Jesus said if you're popular with the world, you can know one thing for certain. Your doctrine is wrong. And he is very popular with the world. I watched a special on him last week, which he was on Larry King Live. And it showed his relationships with the presidents from John F. Kennedy to the present president that we have, George W. Bush. The man has mixed and mingled, and the Bible has a word for it. They committed fornication with the kings of the earth. That's the word, the terminology used in Revelation chapter 17. He's mixing with men who have no regard for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He supported and endorsed John F. Kennedy. He met Joseph Kennedy. Listen, he should have been like John the Baptist and pointed out the horrible sins those men were guilty of. John the Baptist, when he met Herod, what did he say to him? Let's be buddies. Can I have breakfast with you? Do you mind if I preach at a prayer breakfast? John the Baptist said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And what happened to him for that? He got his head cut off. But those are the ministers of Jesus Christ. They will preach the unadulterated, unvarnished doctrine of the Bible without fear of man. And brethren, those are the men we want to pray for. Those are the men we want to support from this church. Those are the men we want to pray that God will raise up more of them before Jesus Christ comes. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ministers are to be judged. You know, many would say that I must be an arrogant, self-confident, pompous, Proud, haughty, conceited man to say anything against Billy Graham. He's such a nice man. Well, Santa Claus is such a nice man, but I don't believe in Santa Claus either. I don't care how nice Billy Graham is. Nice never had anything to do with the gospel. John the Baptist wasn't very nice. You wouldn't want him sitting at your dinner table because he stank. You know, the clothes that man was wearing and the food he ate, he probably had bad breath and everything else. He had never cut his hair because he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Do you know how long and stringy and ugly that man looked? But he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, there's never been a man born of women equal to John the Baptist. Elijah was the same way. Elijah wasn't your Mr. Friendly guy. Elijah did not have a good bedside manner. You know, most preachers today are nothing but politicians. They know how to press the flesh and make you feel warm and fuzzy. They know how to come in and offer up a 30-second prayer while you're laying in a hospital bed and then go on to the next one and go home and be administrators and politicians. Elijah didn't know how to do stuff like that. Elijah just know how to, knew how to call fire down from heaven along with his successor Elisha upon those who didn't fear God. Those are the men of the Bible. And if we're going to follow the Bible, then we need to be looking for ministers like the men of the Bible. 
Ministers are to be judged. Beware of false prophets. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. You won't be able to figure them out at first pass. Inside their ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. So Jesus gives us a way by which to judge ministers. And ministers are to be judged. I've already read you several passages. There's many more that I could give you. But let me remind you, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1 and see one of the places where Paul told a church to judge ministers. And he said, I don't care if the minister that comes into your pulpit is an angel from heaven. Whoa! Now, if you think I'm arrogant, what about Paul saying if an angel from heaven came and preached error, he was to be cursed? Not sat before the deacon board and given a Sunday school lesson. He was to be cursed. You say, well, how did Paul show any humility? Paul said, if I come and preach anything different than the true gospel, curse me. That's how you show humility. Let God be true, but every man a liar, including your pastor. You measure me by the word of God, and only by the word of God, and by the fruits and standard of righteousness that Jesus Christ established in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1. Listen, I'm no better than Charles Manson and Son of Sam by nature. I've got a wicked, selfish, arrogant heart. I'm not like Billy Graham. Billy Graham said in that interview that I watched with Larry King Live, Larry, I've never lusted after a woman to consider committing adultery. I'm sorry, brethren. You don't have a pastor like that. You know what that man is? He's a liar. You know what? I'm thankful that I have Paul as my pattern, not Billy Graham. Do you know what Paul said? When I understood the commandment, thou shalt not lust, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. When I understood the extent that the commandment, thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not lust, went, I realized that in me I had every sexual desire and it was a serious problem for me. Sin revived and I died. That's Romans chapter 7. You know what Paul said? Paul didn't say, I'm pretty good, Larry. Paul said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He looked for salvation outside himself because he needed Jesus Christ to save him because he was guilty of all manner of concupiscence. And concupiscence is your King James Bible word for sexual desire and lust. Galatians chapter 1. I tell you the truth, Larry King live. I wouldn't exaggerate or lie about Billy Graham. Such a nice man. But nice men don't cut it in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's true doctrine that cuts it and their fruits and their works. And his works are terrible. He's mingled with popes and every other denomination in this country. He's watered down doctrinal differences until there's no distinction left at all. You can believe anything you want and be acceptable to Billy Graham. Billy Graham was asked about Pope John Paul II. Do you think he's in heaven? Larry King, do you think he's in heaven, Billy? I have more confidence that Pope John Paul II is in heaven than I do myself of going to heaven. Oh, no, no, no. Franklin, Franklin, I heard you're going to the coronation of Pope Benedict XVI. Of course I am. We preach the same gospel. Oh, no. You're kidding me. Roman Catholics? They're the enemy of true Christianity, and they've always been the enemy. And these men are the revered conservatives. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say. 
Galatians chapter 1. Should we judge ministers? Should I be using names like Franklin, Ann, and Billy Graham? Here's what Paul said. Galatians 1.6 I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Notice the words. Paul could not believe it that his churches of Galatia, where he had labored so diligently, had already departed from the truth he gave them to another gospel. He couldn't believe it. Do you know how it happened? False prophets. Does Galatians chapter 2 tell us that it was false prophets? Let's cheat. Turn the page and look at Galatians chapter 2. It says in verse 4 of Galatians 2, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. There were false teachers that came up out of Jerusalem into the churches of Galatia across the Mediterranean Sea and led that church astray. And Paul says, I marvel that you've already left what I taught you so quickly. But you will if you're not aware of false prophets. They'll come looking so good and they'll lead you astray. And I want our children to listen. Every child with understanding in here. I need you and the Lord needs you to hold fast the things that you have been taught. The world hates our doctrine. The world hates our straightness. The world hates the doctrine of predestination. The world hates the King James Bible. The world hates conservative little Baptist churches like ours. You learn what we believe from the Word of God and you hold fast to it. Galatians 1.6, Paul couldn't believe. So he says in verse 7, which is not another. There isn't really another gospel. It's a false gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Who do you think they are? The false prophets Jesus warned against. Verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was the greatest apostle of the New Testament. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He is our pattern as Gentile believers. He said this. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, Let him be accursed. In case you didn't get the lesson, he repeats himself in verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So, I use the name of Billy Graham because Billy Graham says that Pope John Paul II has a higher degree of probability of being in heaven than Billy himself. The Bible tells us that Pope John Paul II is the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the little Roman horn of Daniel chapter 7, and riding on that scarlet-colored beast in Revelation chapter 17, the enemy of Christianity. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, anyone teaching that you need to abstain from marriage and you can't eat meat is a doctrine of the devil. They have a seared conscience. Billy Graham, breaking down all the distinction, false prophets, pretty to the world, acceptable to the world, but not preaching the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, not willing to drop the Bible hammer on false doctrine. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says about itself, the Word of God is like a hammer and a fire. It breaks the rock in pieces. Where is somebody to lift up the Word of God and break the rock in pieces and preach the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We can't mingle with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics, and everybody else that Billy's willing to mingle with. That isn't the doctrine of the Bible. The doctrine of the Bible is a doctrine of separation. We are to judge pastors, as Galatians chapter 1 tells us, and I expect you to judge me. If I ever preach anything you can't back up in the Word of God, or my life does not back up what's in the Word of God, then I need to be called into question for what I'm doing. And so does every minister. Come with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets in verse 15, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And now we have an analogy given in verses 16 through 19 about trees and their fruit. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Before we even go through the analogy, let me just summarize the lesson. Jesus said, don't look at them. Don't look at them. Because they're always going to look good. Don't nuns look like the sweetest little things? You know, when you see a nun, doesn't she look like a sweet little thing in her robe and habit? For 1,260 years, nuns grinned and laughed as true Christians were burned at the stake and pulled apart on racks. Don't ever forget it. They have an outward appearance of being gentle, but they hate the doctrine of the Bible. They are entirely and totally deluded and deceived. Where in the Bible is there even such a thing as a nun? The Bible has one thing to say about forbidding marriage, that it's a doctrine of the devil. It's not noble. There is nothing noble about going without a spouse in the service of Jesus Christ. It's not noble. It's a doctrine of the devil. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Ye shall know them by their fruits. The fruits of a minister are his doctrine, his works, the effect on the lives of his hearers, the product of his preaching, the goal of his preaching. Don't look at them because there are lots of polished, good-looking, handsome preachers that are not teaching the truth. There's lots of good, charismatic speakers that if they weren't preachers, they'd be very successful millionaire salesmen. They just happen to be in the religious biz. So don't look at them and don't listen to them because talk is cheap. Don't listen to what they have to say about themselves. Talk is cheap. Let's go about the robes. Luke chapter 20 and verse 46 says, The scribes love to appear in public in long robes. Now why did they wear long robes in public? Because they wanted you to recognize them as a holy person. And God said you ought not to do anything in public to be ever recognized as a holy person except your actions, not your clothing. The Pharisees would wear phylacteries, Scripture, tied around their arms, tied under their foreheads. That's what a phylactery was. A piece of leather with a box on your forehead with Bible verses stuck in it as if that made you holy. And Jesus said they love to enlarge the borders of their garments to be seen of men. Don't look. Their appearance will be that of a true prophet. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 11 that they would look like ministers of righteousness? In Zechariah 13.4, the prophet Zechariah actually spoke of men who wore rough garments to look like Elijah. They wore rough garments to deceive. Zechariah 13.4. And then it's their words. 
Do you know that false teachers are always good speakers? Because the Bible tells us through fair, through good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. There are simple people that have not read the Bible, learned the Bible, so when they hear a polished presentation, fair words, good words and fair speeches, Romans 16, 17, they fall for it. When the measure has to be the doctrine, not the eloquence. The Apostle Paul didn't come with eloquence. He came with the words of God. Does the minister preach the truth of the Bible? Is he turning the pages and showing you what he is teaching you by backing it up with the Bible? Does the standard of righteousness match that of the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ said, If your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is in the same sermon, 519. How about, how about where Jesus said, He that disobeys and teaches other men to disobey even the least of my commandments is not a disciple of mine. Even the least commandment ought to be preached in the pulpit. In Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul appealed to those elders at Ephesus, he said, when I was with you, I shun not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I kept back nothing that was profitable for you. I taught you everything God wanted you to hear. I was not partial in the Word of God. Matthew 7. Ye shall know them by their fruits. That is, by what they produce. That is, by their works. That is by their doctrine. That is by their lives. That is by their righteousness. Not by their appearance. Not by their words. Ye shall know them by their fruits. And so here we have the analogy. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Do you go to a thorn bush to get grapes? Or do you go to a vineyard where there's grapevines growing to get grapes? Do men gather figs of thistles? Do you go to a thistle bush or a thistle tree in order to get figs? Or do you go to a fig tree? Jesus said it's the same way. If you're looking for figs, you go look for a fig tree, and you can tell it's a fig tree because it's got figs hanging on it. If you're looking for someone that preaches my gospel, then go where there's a straight message being taught that's hard and it's not popular. Go where someone's living my standard of righteousness as I've taught you in these three chapters. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? We know the answer to that question. No, they do not. Even so... Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A tree is going to bring forth the fruit of the kind of tree that it is. An apple tree brings forth apples. A crab apple tree brings forth crab apples. You have never found a crab apple tree that brings forth apples, and you've never found an apple tree that brings forth crab apples. They're totally different. Very different. And you know, when there's no fruit on their limbs... And you go and look at a tree. I'm, I'm an example of this. I can't remember what I learned in Boy Scouts a hundred years ago to know what kind of a tree it is if it's just got bark and leaves. I need to see its fruit. But I can tell you a crabapple tree when I see that little crabapple. And I can tell you an apple tree when I see that apple. And so the Lord Jesus tells us, look for the fruit. And isn't that how we look and measure trees? I can tell an oak tree... From a maple tree by the fruit that comes off it and what its seed looks like because it's quite different. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Just find the good fruit and you'll have a good tree. Find the good works and you'll have a good minister. Find the good doctrine, you'll have a good minister. 
Find good families living holy and righteous lives. You'll have a good minister. Find someone that teaches the whole New Testament without partiality or apology, and you'll have found a good tree. You'll find a good minister. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Jesus is adding these verses to tell you how infallible the evidence of fruit is to a man's ministry. Look for his doctrine. Look for his works. Look at the effect in men's lives. Looking, look at his lifestyle. And look at the product of his preaching. That's how you can tell. Don't get enamored with him personally. Don't look at his appearance. And don't listen to his good words and fair speeches. Listen for his doctrine. Measure it by the Bible. And you know, there have been noble people that have done that over the years. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, Paul said, The Bereans. Now the Bereans, we want to be a church like the Bereans. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. The Bible tells us that. The Holy Spirit tells us that. The Bereans were more noble because when they heard the Apostle Paul preached, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. That made them noble. Do you know what they were looking for? By their fruits ye shall know them. They were checking the Apostle Paul to make sure that what he was saying was found in the Bible. What does it say after that? And so they believed. Because what Paul was preaching was found in the Bible. Verse 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. If you've got some tree in your orchard, if you've got, a, if you've got an apple orchard, you've got a tree in the middle of the apple orchard bringing forth crab apples, you cut that thing down and burn it up. Because you don't want that tree, you want good fruit. Now, I'm, I'm sorry to offend anybody if you really like crab apples. I haven't had a crab apple pie in a while. But if you like crab apples, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to make the illustration, and I'm not very good with trees. You know, I know of only one man that can sit on earth and speak about trees so that kings would send wise men from all over to hear him. And who was that? Solomon. Solomon, 1 Kings 4 and verse 29. Solomon could sit and talk about trees and entertain you with his great knowledge of trees. I can't. I just ran the whole limit of my knowledge. And as you can tell, it's not very extensive. But if I had a crabapple tree in my apple orchard, I don't want it cumbering the ground because I want to get a good apple tree in that spot, so I'd cut it down burn it up. And what the Lord Jesus Christ here is saying as an analogy is, once you find a bad tree, you get rid of it because it's a waste of time. And once you find a bad ministry, you get rid of them because they're a waste of time and they're dangerous. Beware of false prophets. So he comes to verse 20 and says, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. He starts out that way in verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. He ends up, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. After giving the illustration, the way you can tell what kind of a tree you have is by the nature of its fruit. Because an apple tree brings forth a nice apple. A a thistle bush, bush does not bring forth figs. You need to get to a fig tree. So look for the fruit. When you see figs hanging from a limb, what do you have? A fig tree. Is that an infallible rule? Definitely. When you find holiness and righteousness and pure doctrine being lived, being taught, being practiced, and being enforced in a church, you found yourself a preacher that Jesus Christ approves of. What should you be asking about fruit? On a minister, what is his doctrine? Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good, the Bible says. These are not just empty words and these are not sound bites. These are rules given by the Apostle Paul to save churches from false teachers. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 
Don't believe any man, including me, without proving him. Children, Alex and Austin, someday I'll be gone. Someday your father will be gone. You be vigilant. What does that mean? That means you be watching at all times and not let anyone come into this church or into your lives that does not preach the truth of the Bible. Hold him to the Word of God. Do not let him vary from the Bible. Make sure he's living the Bible, teaching the Bible, and the church is practicing the Bible. Does he demand and live Christ's righteousness? That's the context of these comments, isn't it? All these different levels of righteousness, mercy toward enemies, overlooking personal offenses, all the things that we've learned in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Does this minister that you're examining live and demand that righteousness? Is the emphasis on him or on the church? A true minister like the Apostle Paul put all the emphasis on the church and didn't want any public glory for himself at all. Even though as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he could certainly have asked for a little, couldn't he have? Does he live a holy life? Do his hearers generally live holy lives? What does he do with the least commandments of the Bible? Does he ignore them or preach them? Does he try to please men or God? Does he have a burden for souls? Does he care about people? Is he a man of the Word of God? Does he love the words of Scripture and live and speak according to them? Does he emphasize the men in a church so that you end up having holy and righteous families rather than women preachers, as in so many churches? The reason I said that is because of what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the perilous times of the last days. They would emphasize women instead of men. And what has happened in most Christian circles is the family has fallen apart because the man is no longer the spiritual leader like he ought to be. Let me apply this this way. Let me tell you about a few false prophets and we'll be done. I got quite a list here, so don't get confused. Let's just think about false prophets today and how they're affecting the, the landscape of American Christianity. There's the popular prophet. Is well loved by the world. I've already mentioned his name. It's Billy Graham. He has no peer. Loved by the world. Whether it's popes, presidents, or anyone else, Billy Graham is loved. Jesus said in Luke 6.26, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so spake they of the false prophets that came before me. Luke 6.26 The popular prophet. The true prophets of Jesus Christ have never been popular. They've been a persecuted lot. The peaceful prophet. He's always preaching peace that everything's going to be fine. If you've ever watched Robert Schuller on television, oh, everything's going to be fine because you are wonderful. Look in that mirror and smile. You are beautiful. Well, where in the world is that found in the Bible? The man's made his own religion up. Do you know what the man thinks hell is? Robert Schuller? Robert Schuller believes that hell is living this life with low self-esteem. Because the man is obsessed with arrogance and conceit about the value of a human being. Listen, I want to defend the value of the Lord Jesus Christ and God my Father. He says that all of us added together are less than the dust of His scales. There's no esteem in that. 
We need to humble ourselves, not exalt ourselves. The peaceful prophet. There's the financial prophets that beg for money. You know, you turn on the television, they're just begging and begging and begging for money. The Apostle Paul didn't beg for money. The Apostle Paul worked day and night to provide his own way. So he wouldn't beg for money. In Acts chapter 20, he said, I've coveted no man's silver and gold. A qualification for the ministry is that they cannot be given to filthy lucre. But we've got financial prophets. Oh, the Lord Jesus had this to say. Matthew 23, verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye, for ye make a, for a pretense, ye make long prayers that ye may devour widows' houses. Wow! Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for, ye, for a pretense, you make long prayers to devour widows' houses, ye shall receive the greater damnation. Matthew 23, 14. That's men using religion to extract money from widows. Ye shall receive the greater damnation. Now isn't it interesting that the NIV, the NASV, and all the other V's don't even have Matthew 23, 14? I wonder why it's missing. Do you think they had a guilty conscience when they came to that verse and they just took care of it? If you read the NIV, Matthew 23, it's got verse 13, it's got verse 15, but it doesn't have verse 14. Check it out. The financial prophet, they're preaching for money. They've always, they've done that. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 1, shut their mouths because they're saying things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You say, I can't imagine a man that would preach a lie just to make money. There's men that will do a lot of things for money. And some of them get into the religious business. The amazing prophet uses false wonders and signs. Can you think of any? He wears white shoes and white suits. The amazing prophet. Oh yeah. I want you all to be slain the spear right now. None of you fell out of your pew. I must not be walking in the spirit. Maybe I forgot my white shoes. The amazing prophet. Paul never did that. Paul never slew anyone in the spirit. The conservative prophet uses legalistic rules to come up with a man-made religion. Touch not, taste not, handle not. We've got Seventh-day Adventists that don't want to eat meat. We've got this and we've got that. Of little ticky rules that are man-made rules, and yet the Apostle Paul came along in Colossians 2 and said, all those man-made rules don't mean a thing to God. You better be following his rules. The dreaming prophet, he wants to tell you about his dreams. The Lord spoke to me last night. And that's why sometimes I mock them when I say, wait a minute, I'm getting a word of wisdom. Because if you've ever watched Benny Hinn, he's getting words of wisdom all the time about how the Trinity's got five members and different things like that. Now those are words of you, you say, come on, go read about them. Go read about the man. The smooth prophet uses good words and fair speeches. Do you know in Isaiah chapter 30 they had this problem 3,000 years ago when the people told the prophet Isaiah... Don't preach to us the Word of God. Preach to us smooth things. Isaiah 30 and verse 8. Get away from us, that God that's so demanding. We want to hear smooth things. And today, 2 Timothy chapter 4 tells us, the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears because they want smooth things again. P. 
People want to go to church today just to hear some special music, hear an uplifting story, and go bouncing home on their way, feeling just the way they did when they came in. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. So it's called the smooth prophet. The political prophet. That's a prophet that preaches about politics, international, national conspiracies, and gets the saints of God distracted from the real conflict, which has never been with flesh and blood. It's with spiritual wickedness and temptation of the devilish sort, not of the worldly sort. Carl Carl McIntyre and others fit that bill. The traveling prophet. That's the evangelist that runs around and fleeces congregations without laboring in one and dealing with its problems. There was no one like that in the New Testament. There was no position of an evangelist in the New Testament of the sort of men that call themselves evangelists today that float from one congregation to another. They've only got five sermons and they preach them over and over from church to church and fleece the flock. That's not taught in the Bible anywhere. Do you know what an evangelist was in the Bible? Someone who preached the gospel to those that had never heard about it before. Not fleecing congregations. That's the traveling prophet. There's the mysterious prophet who's always teaching such a complex philosophical religion. You know, Tom Cruise is bought into that one. For those of you that are aware of the news, Tom Cruise and his obsession with Scientology. Listen, it's not even an ology and it's not science. It's, it's incredible if you were to go read anything about Scientology. The mysterious prophet, the traditional prophet. We've got to do things the way they've always been done. Church tradition. The busy prophet. So busy with activities that he never has time for the Word of God. The partial prophet that won't be fair with the Word of God. There's a sovereign prophet that's a fatalist in applying the doctrine of election and predestination. There's the conditional prophet that's an Arminian and leaves the work of God in salvation undone. There's the growth prophet, like Rick Warren of Saddleback Community Church. Everything for the sake of growth. 1 Timothy 6 describes those men. If any man, here's Paul to Timothy, if any man preach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that man knows nothing. He is a foolish man with a corrupt mind who thinks that gain is godliness. Church growth doesn't prove anything except give us a suspicion that you're teaching a false doctrine. The apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't draw those numbers. And they were perfect ministers of the pure gospel. Gain is not godliness. Godliness is gain. 1 Timothy 6, 5 compared to verse 6. They say that gain is godliness. The fact that we're growing proves that we've got the truth. Well, why don't you tell that to Noah? That doesn't prove anything. The truth is in the next verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Gain isn't godliness. Growth doesn't prove anything. If growth proves truth, then the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are true churches. They're the fastest growing churches on earth. Doesn't prove a thing. The growth prophet. There's the social prophet. You turn on the television now and they're begging money for wells in Africa. They're begging money for food in Africa. They want to make a bridge of hope to Africa. Did you know what? There was never a verse in the New Testament about begging money and there were starving people in the time of the New Testament. The only time the Apostle Paul took a collection was for the poor saints in Jerusalem. With a social prophet. He makes everyone feel good because they've done something socially good. Instead of repenting, which is divinely good. 
There's the seeker-sensitive prophet that I've already mentioned who promises liberty when he himself is in the bondage of corruption. You know, God's ministers have never been popular. They've been hated. God's ministers don't create peace. They create division. You know what Jesus said? Think not that I am come to bring peace on earth. No one knows this Jesus Christ because they don't know the Bible anymore. Jesus said, think not that I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Because Jesus knew that anyone that sold out to him is going to have family turn against them. Matthew 10, 34-37 I fairly, honestly represent the Jesus Christ of the Bible to you. Paul didn't teach Timothy to do anything with signs and wonders. Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. I wonder why Paul didn't send him one of those little handkerchiefs or a little prayer cloth for Timothy to get better. Because Paul wasn't trying to perpetuate any of those miraculous signs and wonders because they were already disappearing. And we could go on and on. The Bible says preach the Word. It doesn't say preach dreams. We don't travel from flock to flock. We stay right here and labor with you. And we could say so much more. Beware of false prophets. The landscape is cluttered with them. You can get a lesson just by turning on a religious television station. I hope that you will teach your children the importance of being aware of false prophets. Teach them the Bible doctrine that's been given to us. And may we as a church hold fast to it. When we meet brethren like Brother Singh in Malaysia, we want to support them. We want to pray for them. We want to encourage them. We want to push them. We want the Lord to raise up other pastors as needs arise. We want to pray for ministers everywhere for God to embolden them that they will not be afraid of men and that they will hold fast the doctrine once delivered to the saints. You can measure a minister by his fruits. It's infallible measurement. Forget what he looks like. Forget what he says. What's his doctrine? What's his lifestyle? And what's his church look like as measured by the Word of God? Let's look for the fruits now. What should that mean to us? What should it mean to us? We need to be vigilant. If Jesus told us to be vigilant and Paul told us to be vigilant... Let's all be vigilant lest we ever depart from the Word of God. Let's be thankful for the good ministers that God has sent in our lives to teach us the truth. Let's pray for your pastor and other pastors to be faithful to what God has called them to do. You need to support this pastor and other pastors in opposing heresy by whatever means. And let's all live a righteous life to endorse the truth. Do you know how many times Paul said how we live on the job how we treat our families adorns the doctrine of God our Savior with the fruits that we just talked about. Let's adorn the doctrine taught in this church by those that see our families, loving families, loving marriages, obedient children, spiritually minded together. Let's show them the doctrine of Jesus Christ in a living epistle by us practicing the righteousness Jesus taught. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.